Dr. Shane Lopez, in his book, Making Hope Happen, shares a number of pieces of evidence that show just how important hope can be in our lives. He cites a study of mechanical and electrical engineers at a Fortune 100 company. And in that study, they grouped the engineers into either high hope engineers or low hope engineers. And those people who were high hope engineers on average missed less than three days of work in a 12-month period, while those who were low hope engineers missed on average more than 10 days of work in the same period of time. He cites another, another study in which hope proved to be a strong predictor of satisfaction, leading that study's authors to suggest that hope is a symptom of happiness. A number of studies have indicated that hopeful people tolerate pain better than their less hopeful peers. Research shows that hopelessness is a strong predictor of mortality. People who said they felt hopeless were more than twice as likely to die during a study follow-up period than those who were more hopeful. Yet Lopez notes just how quickly life can spiral out of hope, a spiral without hope. In her book, she shares the story of a guy named John who she met as she was doing her residency in the Eisenhower VA Medical Center in Kansas. John came into her office suicidal, claiming he was going to go home and kill himself. But what's interesting about John is that John was a very strong individual. He was a veteran of the Korean War since he returned home from the military. He was a rugged farmer who made it through a recession as well as major flooding on his farm. And he was no stranger to adversity. He had never seen a psychologist or psychiatrist in his life because he had never needed to. He was always willing to and ready to face challenges head on. But not today. Today he was overwhelmed with despair. So what would cause someone who had overcome such adversity and such difficulty to lose all of his hope? Well, that day he had gone to the VA complaining of fatigue and being tired and uh, having high blood pressure. He expected the doctor would simply adjust his blood pressure medication, yet he learned some other news that he wasn't ready to accept. His kidneys were failing, and the doctor says, well, there's good news and there's bad news. The bad news is your kidneys are failing, but the good news is it's treatable. But the thing is, you're going to have to go to dialysis three days a week, and the closest dialysis center is an hour and a half away. So you can expect to go there, and it will take you most of the morning, and then when you get home, you're going to have to rest the rest of the day. What this effectively meant was that he was no longer going to be able to, to be a farmer. All his life he invested in being a farmer. He had spent money on expensive uh, equipment for his farm. He'd gone into debt even to get that equipment. And now he felt like all of his dreams were shattering and he lost hope. And the weight of this crushed this otherwise tough veteran to the point of despair as he gave up hope for his life. Well, we'll come back to his story in just a little bit, but hope is incredibly important. And yet in our world, hope is something that's difficult to hold on to.
It's something that can be easily lost. We often start off a life or an endeavor with hope or optimism. We start out optimistic that we're going to get a good job, that we're going to make a lot of money, but then life starts knocking us down. We end up getting a job we don't like and are not making the money that we want or need to make. And we get to a point where we feel like we're stuck just to muddle through the job that we have. In our dreams, we dream of being healthy and happy, and yet life beats us down with cancer and pain and sickness. We have dreams of having a healthy and fulfilling marriage, and some of us never even get out of the gate. We never find someone to spend our lives with. Others of us get married and come to the realization that that marriage doesn't satisfy them like they thought they would. Some are beat down by infidelity or conflict or even divorce. Some of us are optimistic about sharing our faith with our friends or loved ones who don't know the Lord, and yet again and again we're met with rejection. And eventually, if we're not careful, we'll resort to cynicism and despair. And when we do that, we come to this belief that my situation is impossible. My situation cannot be fixed. My financial situation, it's hopeless. I'll never find a spouse. My marriage is hopeless. Maybe we stop praying for our loved ones who don't know Jesus, thinking to ourselves, he or she will never change. They're impossible. In the, par- in the passage that we looked at tonight, Mary finds herself in an impossible situation. She was betrothed to Joseph, which was similar to a couple being engaged And yet it was much more serious in that for a betrothal to be called off, it required a divorce. Yet an angel appears to her, terrifies her, and tells her she's going to bear the Messiah. What is the thought that's probably going through her mind at that point? Um, That's impossible. I haven't been with a man. Um, She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Um, Mr. Angel, are you not familiar with how babies are made? This cannot happen. And yet God tells her that this child is going to be from the Holy Spirit and that her relative Elizabeth will also have a child even though she's old. And then the angel makes an incredible statement. The angel says in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary says in a remarkable statement of faith, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Now what would cause Mary to believe such a thing? What would cause her to believe that though she had not had relations, she would have a child? What would cause her to believe that things were going to be okay despite the fact that she was about to be accused of being unfaithful to Joseph? Well, you see, I think her faith formed her to be prepared for that moment. See, what God was telling her through that angel was consistent with the God that she already knew. In other words, I believe that Mary believed in a God who could do the impossible. Now, why do I think that? I think that because in joy, Mary sings out a song called the Magnificat, a song of praise to God, a God not just of the present, but who had done great things in the past. Mary says of God, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. 
The description mighty one, according to scholar Daryl Bach, often alludes in the Old Testament and in Judaism to the warrior God who fights on behalf of his people. He is the strong and mighty God who causes a baby to be born in her womb. His arm is strong to save. Mary says that he scatters the proud, exalts the humble. He provides for the hungry. Mary says, holy is his name. God is high and exalted. His plans cannot be thwarted. He is unlike any other. And when we look at the record of the Old Testament, we see that God consistently does things that from a human perspective are impossible. Remember the story of Abraham. God keeps telling Abraham, you're going to become a great nation. Your offspring are going to be as numerous as the sand of the sea. And yet they wait and they wait and they wait. And finally, Abraham is like, do you realize that Sarah, my wife, is 90 years old? Her biological clock ran out 40 years ago. It's impossible that she would have a child, and yet God causes her to bear a child, and Abraham does indeed become a great nation. Remember the story of Moses. Moses is a criminal outcast in hiding, and God tells Moses, I want you to go and get my people out of slavery. Moses is like, who am I to do that? I mean, you got the wrong guy. That's impossible. I am a criminal on the run for my life because Pharaoh wanted to kill me. And you're saying I'm going to go and face Pharaoh, the leader of one of the superpowers of the ancient world, and I'm going to lead the people out of slavery. And yet with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, God brings plagues and judgment upon the Egyptians and their God and then leads them into the wilderness. And when the water is in front of them and the armies are behind them, God does the impossible and parts the Red Sea so that they can walk on dry ground. Remember the story of Gideon. The Midianites had multiplied so much that they and their camels couldn't be counted. Further, they were wreaking havoc upon Israel so much so that the Israelites were hiding often from the Midianites. They, uh, God, the angel comes and finds Gideon in the midst of a wine vat threshing out grain because the Midianites would come and take their food if they saw it. And God tells Gideon, you're going to defeat the Midianites. Gideon's like, you got the wrong guy. I'm like the smallest, the weakest in my family. That's impossible. And yet God makes it even more impossible. He says, not only are you going to defeat them, but you're going to defeat them with 300 men. 300 versus untold thousands, so many that you can't even count. Seems like an impossible task, and yet God decimated the forces of Midian. Remember the story of David. The giant, the champion, Goliath, is put forward as kind of this, there'd be kind of this match between Goliath and then the greatest of Israel. And they would fight man on man and whoever would live would be the victor. And then the the loser's uh, tribe and people would become the slave of the victor. Problem was Goliath was about nine feet tall. The chain mail of his armor was about 125 pounds. The head of his spear was about 15 pounds. And who does Israel put forth? They put forth a young shepherd boy with a staff and a sling. 
Even Goliath thought this was ludicrous, that it was impossible kind of task for this little shepherd boy. He calls him a dog. He's like, you're sending a dog to fight against me. And yet with one stone's throw, the giant comes down. Remember the story of Ezekiel. He's taken to a valley of dry bones, meaning that the bones have been there a long time. And then God asks, do you believe that these bones can live? Ezekiel gives the very diplomatic answer. Oh, Lord, you know, you know. And he's probably thinking to himself, uh, yeah, that's impossible. They've been dead for maybe dozens of years. They're not coming back. And yet God causes those bones to form together and muscles and skin to come over them and then breath to come in them through the prophecy of Ezekiel. And then they get up from that valley and they leave the valley a strong and mighty army. God has a history of doing the impossible through His people. And when the angel spoke to Mary, Mary believed the angel because she believed that God could do through her what He had done in the past. That she would have a child while still being a virgin. That the impossible could happen to her. See, the fact that Christmas would happen, that God would become a man is impossible or at least inconceivable to many. Muslims, for example, believe that it's impossible that God would become a man. That the high and transcendent and sovereign and holy God would take the form of a baby or a human being. To the Muslim mind, that's incomprehensible. Even foolish. And I'll admit that it is incredible and mind-blowing to think that God would put skin on and become a baby. John Ortberg, in his book, God is Closer Than You Think, shares a story about a man named Father Damien. He was a priest and was famous for his willingness to serve among lepers on the colony in the colony of uh, Kalawa uh, on the island of Malaki. Um, that group of people had been quarantined because of their leprosy, and but for 16 years, Father Damien went and he lived among them. He spoke their language, he bandaged their wounds, he embraced them like nobody else would. He preached to them. He organized schools and bands and uh, choirs. He built homes for them. He built coffins so they would have a dignified burial when they would die. Uh, he did everything for them. And slowly, this place that was a place that just kind of had the stink of death started to become a place not just to die, but also a place to live. But Father Damien wasn't careful about keeping his distance from the people. He didn't do anything to separate himself from the people. He dipped his fingers in the, in the bowl with the other patients. He shared his pipe with them. He didn't always wash his hands after bandaging their sores. And because of his closeness, people loved him. Then one day he stood up and he started his sermon this way with two words. We lepers. Now, Ortberg said, he wasn't just helping them. Now he was one of them. From this day forward, he wasn't just on their island. He was in their skin. First, he had chosen to live as they had lived. Now he would die as they died. Now they were in it together. 
Ortberg says, one day God came to earth and began his message, we lepers. Now he wasn't just helping us. Now he was one of us. Now he was in our skin. Now we were in it together. This is amazing truth that God would become like us, that he would come into our neighborhood, that he would take on our limitations willingly. Even more amazing it is that he would take our sin upon himself, that he would become sin for us, that he would die on the cross and rise again from the grave. Peter Larson said this, despite our efforts to keep him out, God intrudes. The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities, a virgin womb and an empty tomb. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance and left through a door marked no exit. We serve a God who does the impossible. Christmas provides us with an important reminder. Christmas is a reminder that with God, the impossible becomes possible. Christmas is a reminder that with God, the impossible becomes possible. See, there's nothing that's impossible for our God. Now, that doesn't mean that we can simply get God to do what we want Him to do for us every time. It doesn't mean that we can somehow turn God's hand so that all of our circumstances work out the way that we want them to work out. But sometimes we feel like we're constrained by our circumstances. Or that God's constrained by our circumstances, rather. Sometimes we get hopeless when we're in the valley. Because when you are in the valley, what do you see all around you? You only see the mountains. You only see the obstacles in front of you. And sometimes we feel like there's no way out of our circumstances. There's no way that we can have peace. There's no way that we can be healed because it's impossible. And Christmas reminds us that there is a way out in Christ. That in at Christmas we're reminded that we serve a God who does the impossible. And there's no situation that's too dark and too far for our God. Let's return to John's story. The man who was a suicidal veteran farmer whose kidneys were failing. Well, thanks to his wife's care, John made it through the night and returned the next day for counseling. Day after, he came in and talked about the corn harvest. Uh, he didn't quite understand the severity of his situation, but he started to get a glimmer of hope. He said, if I get the corn in, the price is right, then I can take some time off for that kidney treatment. After consulting with his doctors, he was given the approval to wait four weeks before he started dialysis so that he could get the corn harvest in. After that, he kept his promise and went to the doctor. And remarkably, after testing his kidney function, the doctors discovered that his kidneys hadn't got, had not gotten worse. In fact, they had slightly improved without treatment. So John bolstered with confidence said, Can I have a few more weeks? And John became excited about doing all these different things to get the farm ready before he started treatment. And he made it through that winter and the spring, and remarkably, his condition either improved or stayed the same without treatment every time he was tested. He eventually came to grips with the reality of his condition, but after being reconciled 
with his son, he determined that his son would take over when he, while he was receiving treatment. The author of the book, Shane Lopez, notes that a couple months later, before he left his in- internship at the clinic, he looked up John's file one last time, and the most recent note said this, dialysis p- postponed again due to improved kidney functioning. Now, neither I nor Dr. Lopez are suggesting that hope can cure diseases, that he could just cure his kidney function by hopeful, being hopeful or having wishful thinking. Now, certainly it didn't hurt. I think it helped. I'm sure eventually he had to get treatment uh, for his failing kidneys. But what it demonstrates is the the incredible power that hope can have in our lives. It transformed a man ready to take his own life, who felt like he had no future, to a man who was driven and excited about life. That's the power of hope. That's the hope that we can have when we believe that God can do the impossible. The Apostle Paul speaking of Abraham, says this in Romans 4. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Paul says, in hope, Abraham believed against hope. He believed in hope even when everything in his circumstances were telling him, this isn't going to happen. You're not going to have a child. Your wife is too old. You are too old. This isn't going to happen. And yet against hope, he believed in hope. He believed that God could do the impossible. Mary did the same thing. What if we insert her her name into this kind of narrative? In hope, Mary believed against hope that she would become the the mother of the Son of God, though she was a virgin. She did not weaken in faith when she considered her own situation. No unbelief made her waver concerning the promise of God, but she grew strong in her faith as she gave glory to God. What if we believed the same things? What if you inserted your name in hope, fill in your name, believed against hope that God could do the impossible through him or her? In hope, fill in your name. Believe that there is no situation that's too dark and too far from God's grace. No unbelief made him or her waver concerning the promise of God, but they grew strong in their faith as they gave glory to God. What if we believed in God like that? What if we believed that God could do the impossible? What if we believed that there was no situation that was too dark and too far from God's grace? Well, Christmas is a reminder that we can believe that. It's a reminder that with God, 
the impossible becomes possible.